Welcome back to another episode of Divided State Citizens. This is Michael Weil. And this is Henry Simon. Very happy to have you back. This is a special episode for us because we are wrapping up Divided State Citizens for now, in parentheses. Um, we wanted to just take a quick moment to reflect on all the episodes we've done and just express some gratitude because I know we both have some. Yeah, but Michael, before we, we get into that, why don't we tell everyone a little bit about why we're... Uh, Ending these installments. Okay, I'm moving to Atlanta. He's moving to, he's moving to Atlanta. <laughs> we uh, we we thought about trying to do it over the phone, see if we could get some interviews that way. Uh, we we did do one interview with a, a friend of mine, Noah, over the phone, and there's a reason that none of you heard it. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna. But it's out there. It's out there. It'll maybe one day we'll get equipment to actually let us do this. But and for now, surface. Uh, it's gonna pause, and we're just gonna have to continue divide us a citizens offline. And we're gonna keep asking those hard hitting questions. But for now, I definitely want to take time to reflect because there has been some incredible just life lessons that I've learned. I know Henry has too. He'll speak to his. But I, I do want to take a moment and just thank all of the guests that we've had on this podcast. Everyone has been super passionate about something different and have their own ways of being active within their own communities. And it's been so incredible to just have a chance to talk to these people and hear their wisdom and see how we all have so much more in common than we're different. And I think the second we realize that and the second we go into any type of dialogue with empathy and open-mindedness and the goal of finding similarities rather than contention, I think is the moment that we are going to skyrocket. And I was telling Henry earlier I, I don't mean to sound like a politician or anything, but I truly believe like our best days as a country are ahead of us, 100%. Um, I believe that because I believe people are putting in the work. Henry and I identified very early on that we wanted to do something. We weren't sure in what capacity, but we couldn't just sit here and watch all of this. So this was the avenue that we took to, yes, let out frustration, but also to figure out what was going on. And I think that while we didn't figure out what was going on, we got very close and we were able to hear a lot of different perspectives. And if we leave people listening with anything, I think it is that if you're not sure what to do to be active or an active member of your society or community, the first thing can be start the dialogue. Um, you know, it's very easy to talk to someone who feels differently than you and get upset and, and, you know, turn your back and walk away. But those uncomfortable conversations and those, you know, conversations that make our blood boil are actually, I think, the answer. I think we need to zero in on those and identify how we can move forward. You, we always need to be moving forward and everyone is always going to have a different opinion. And once we realize that, then we can take the necessary steps. So again, I really, really want to thank everyone who has been on any episodes of our podcast. Uh, we're very grateful for that. And I hope a lot of people listening have also gotten um, some good tips and good ways to move forward. So um, yeah, what about you, Henry? Yeah, that was nice. And I think my takeaway, it's, it's fun because we talk about how we everyone has unique takeaways from these, and I guess mine's similar to yours, but a little different. And I and I hope everyone who's joined us on this journey also has similar but different takeaways from this experience. Uh, but to me, I guess it all relates back to what we learned from our first guest ever, Jackie, uh, when she came on. Uh, we talked about how communication is important, 
I guess that's the same as what you're talking about. So have that dialogue with people who you disagree with, who you have, you're different from. And I honestly, the experience of this podcast, I feel like it, for me, it went a step maybe closer. Mm-hmm. And it was talking to people who I have things in common with, but I didn't know their full story. Uh, we've had guests on who I've known for a few years and I had conversations with them that I never had had in the past. And I think that was the part that was really unique because I was getting to learn about them in a way that I hadn't learned about in the past. I was hearing a new side of them. I was seeing what experiences made them who I've come to like or love. And it's been really, really nice to have that. And I plan on continuing to have those types of conversations with people in my life of continuing to ask sort of, what do you think makes you different than me? And what do you think I could learn from you? I know everyone was we talked to was talking about their own individual passions and we're using their personal passion to explain that story. But everyone's passion was different, but everyone's story was kind of the same. It always ended with that idea of communicating, of thinking about other people, thinking about how other people might feel. And I thought that was the part that I, I really enjoyed was that no matter the different avenue we took, the story always became the same. Mm-hmm. So I guess for our listeners, I'd love to leave you with all one challenge. If you haven't in the past, find that one friend who you think is a little bit different than you in some capacity or just has had different experiences and talk with them. Ask them about those experiences. Ask them what they think that you don't understand about them and try and see if you can learn something from those stories. Let's make the world a little bit smaller. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. So with that, we're going to segue into our next and final guest who is... Miss Chloe Valdery. We're very excited about it. And her Instagram handle is? And Twitter handle, at C Valdery, V-A-L-D-A-R-Y. So stay tuned, and you'll get to listen to Chloe speak a little bit about her life experience. We'll be right back. This episode of Divided State Citizens is brought to you by combining two of my favorite foods, pizzas and bagels. Because I would love to be able to eat both pizzas and bagels at the same time. A pagel. That's what I was going to call it. A pagel. A pizza. <laughs> a pizza. Let's go to a pizza. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by a pizza. So we are joined today by Chloe Daldry. Uh, thanks for being with us, Chloe. Thank you for having me. She is currently the brand ambassador at Jerusalem U, which is a film production company in Israel. It's very cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do as a brand ambassador for them? Yeah, so I, as a brand ambassador, get to lecture all around the country, get to speak in day schools and high schools and universities about Israel education and what that means. Um, so I give different workshops and lectures and such. And I also develop content for social media, so for like YouTube and Instagram. Awesome. Well, that's amazing, and we're very happy to have you here, so much so that there are some tequila shots in front of us for those of you sitting at home listening and we are going to proceed to take those shots yes so thanks chloe for being here with the theme of israel chayim chayim to life to life all right we're all champs all right i'm glad this is a podcast so you don't have to see our faces right now our faces are fine i don't know what you're talking about exactly um okay well that was just a a quick preliminary (laughs) lachayim that i'm glad we got out of the way um, do, you, so, do you need another L'chaim, Michael? I may need another L'chaim, but I'm not going to let the listeners at home know when I'm taking that L'chaim. Oh, wow. I get you. Uh, yes. Now, <laughs> Chloe, this is about you, so yes. let's redirect. Cool. 
cool. Uh, can we start when you were a little youngin? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm interested and we'll, you know, unpack it a little bit. But when you were a kid, was there something specific about your upbringing that kind of made you gravitate towards Judaism and Israel and the desire to educate people on that? Yeah, definitely. So I'm originally from New Orleans. Which is a great city for those of you who haven't visited. I highly recommend that you do. Um, so I was born and raised in New Orleans. I grew up in a very unique Christian family. As a Christian, I grew up keeping things like Shabbat and things like kosher style mm-hmm. and things like the Holy Days, which is very odd for a Christian to do. The closest kind of denomination that is similar to how I grew up, is Seventh-day Adventist. So Seventh-day Adventist Christians keep the Sabbath, hence the seventh day. So you didn't go to church on Sundays? Correct. We okay. went to church on Saturdays. So we, I grew up in a home that was basically Seventh-day Adventist on steroids. And I like to joke with people about like how some of those experiences were. So, for example, in, in the Orthodox Jewish tradition, if you, you're keeping Yom Kippur, which is a day upon which you fast, most Jews start fasting around bat mitzvah age which is the age of 12, 13. My parents did not have a rabbinical text to advise them on what age they should make their children start fasting. So they made us start fasting at five Whoa. for some reason. And I saw I've been fasting for Yom Kippur since I was five years old. So that was sort of like the beginning. And then my father introduced me to Leon Uris, his writings. Was a, Leon Uris was a very famous author, wrote a lot of books about like the establishment of Israel. He wrote books like Exodus, which was his most famous book. It was turned into a movie in the 50s with Paul Newman. But he wrote a lot of books. He wrote a book called Mela 18, which was about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Uh, that was the first book that I, that I read of his. And this was when I was 15 years old. So my identity was forming. And I was also a part of the Hebrew Culture Club in high school. There you go. I went to, <laughs> I went to a very pluralistic high school in New it's Orleans. It's in your blood. Exactly. <laughs> So that was like the beginning of how I sort of started gravitating toward it. The religious experience and the cultural experience was all a part of my identity. And so that naturally pulled me toward an interest in it. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear. It's funny that I feel, despite the fact that I was born Jewish, I feel like yeah. you know more I know. about feeling being Jewish than I do. <laughs> For everyone at home, I feel super inadequate right now. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the last time I did Yom Kippur. Uh, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah. Um, no, but definitely. And so now you're working and you're doing actual work to promote uh, Israel and try yeah. and help sort of talk about what's going on there. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about the work that you're doing now? For Sure. You know? So I think it's important to sort of like give context, give a little context about like how I ended up first of all in New York and doing mm-hmm. this work. So when I got to college, I got involved in like political stuff. I got involved in Israel advocacy. I had a student pro-Israel organization at the University of New Orleans called Allies of Israel. Did Israel advocacy for three and a half years and then had this aha moment that no one knew what they were doing when it came to Israel advocacy. There were a whole bunch of uh, faulty assumptions that we were working off of in order to engage millennials that were just wrong. And so I moved to New York because I got a job at the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. I was mentored by Brett Stevens for a year. And... 
during that time, I did like a, an 82-page paper on the topic of Israel and millennials and millennial engagement, what works, what doesn't, and how to make it better. And it was there that I developed this theory of change on how to actually use what millennials are interested in and listen to us as a generation in order to create better Israel content. So now what I'm doing is I'm usually creating content that tries to introduce young people to Israeli society, like the people of Israel, the culture of Israel, the internal dynamics of Israel, as opposed to just talking about Israel as sort of this abstraction, this political abstraction, which I think many people, that's the extent to which many people know Israel, whether it's through social media or through conversations in communal spaces, many people don't know the Israeli people as human beings. They only know Israel as that like political abstraction. So a lot of the work that I do is trying to introduce people to the complexities of Israeli society, um, the challenges and opportunities that come with that complexity, and how we as millennials who are like obsessed with identity can learn different things from that. Yeah, that's very interesting because when I was doing a little bit of research on you, yeah. um, I found that one thing based on what you just said that you felt very passionate about was that a lot of people currently misunderstand Israelis. Yes. So I think you had mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had said something along the lines of, you know, people are viewing Israelis and Israeli culture through the lens of the conflict, Correct. the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Correct. Whereas I think you're trying to go in the direction of humanizing Israelis. Yes. And seeing them as like living, breathing humans like we are. Exactly. So what kind of feedback have you seen from that? Has it been, you know, have you seen that working for you when you talk to millennials? Is it not working? Yeah, it's actually been an interesting uh journey process to witness. I, what I've witnessed is that slowly but surely making headway among my generation. Um, and I say that because what I bring to the table is not trying to tell people what to think, for example, about the conflict, even though I obviously have my own personal opinions. But really, I try to give, especially, for example, students on college campuses, I try to give them a framework through which to discuss the conflict so that the outcome is much more transformative as a result. So one of the things I try to teach people is like, if we're going to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts, we're going to talk about the communities in this conflict in a way that doesn't denigrate or, or tear any of them down. And I used to use the language of like one side versus this side, but I don't even want to use the language of sides anymore, right? Because that's sort of taking away the humanity of it. So I want to use the language of community. Um, another thing I do is I try to encourage students to if they feel that they need to criticize a policy in any community, to do so with the purpose of uplifting the community that they're criticizing, right? So this is all about like grounding our intention and reimagining re and re-understanding what our intentions are, which are not to tear down anyone, again, but ultimately to lift them up. And when it comes to Israeli society in general, there's so much interesting stuff apart from the conflict that I think we as Americans could learn from, especially in our super hyper uh, polarized climate today. No, it's not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> from the way, even when Israelis disagree with each other, they disagree in a totally different way than how Americans disagree with each other, I think, um, which is interesting. But just in general, the things that are valued within Israeli society, I think it teach us important things about how to build community and how to create community. I was actually just having a conversation with someone earlier today about the, this interesting aspect of the Druze community, 
uh, in Israel. So the Jewish community are a minority in Israel, and their religious community, their number one prophet is actually, you may, be, you may have heard of him, his name is Jethro, or Yithro in Hebrew. He's considered to be the father-in-law of Moses. So that's their, their top prophet. And as a result, they have what they call a blood covenant with the Jewish people. And so they have almost 100% rate, for example, uh, involvement, or they enroll in the IDF at, at actually a greater rate than Jewish Israelis do, proportionately. And that's because they have this sort of like sense of loyalty and covenant as a function of their identity, which is fascinating because then I started asking the question, well, this brings up questions of like, what does it mean to be loyal? And what does it mean to be united, right? We call ourselves the United States of America. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does it mean? Like, are we actually loyal to each other as citizens? Are we invested in each other's well-being and betterment, regardless of differences in political you know, stature or differences in sexual orientation or race, etc. What does it mean to have that deep sense of loyalty to each other as a function of identifying as the United States of America? And what can, if anything, we learn from this interesting relationship between the Jewish community and the Jewish community in Israel? So those are the types of things I'm like researching on a daily basis. It's definitely very interesting. And yeah. I guess one thing I'm curious, do you find that it impacts how people, different people perceive their own identity, sort of impacts the work that you do. And how does that sort of change it? Because uh, especially like in, in just relating to America, which I'm a little bit more familiar with, mm-hmm. I might perceive one person's identity to be something, but their own personal identity, they might totally disagree with what I'm perceiving of that. Right. And are you seeing that sort of appear in your work as well? In terms of? Just the way that identity is, is sort of playing a role and how you're sort of creating these sort of programs and try to educate people. Do you ever find that the way that you're interpreting the identity is different than how like, oh, individuals interpret their own identities? So that's a great question. I'm, I'm less challenging people on their own sense of identity and more challenging people on the frameworks through which they navigate identity. So You want them to figure it out on their own. Exactly. Like I want, I want this to be sort of an opportunity for them to explore their own identity and I want to be able to give them the, t- the tools to do so. So like, so the theory of change that I developed is called the theory of enchantment. And at its core, it's really all about saying, we're going to have a deliberate conversation about challenging issues, but we're going to root that conversation in things like empathy and compassion. We're going to expressly... Radical ideas, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to expressly and explicitly have the goal of compassion. And so like, once you reorient your objective toward that it doesn't change one's identity but it changes how they use their identity to reach a common objective if that makes sense it does it definitely does it sounds like in large part you're saying that we could learn something from one another if you stop for a second and recalibrate and realize that you're looking at like someone with a heart and blood and like feelings and emotions and we're more similar than we're different. Yes, absolutely. And there are so many people in pop culture who are, like, my inspirations for this. Like? (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Well, I mean, Sarah Silverman has her show uh, on Hulu. It's a great Um, show. What's it called again? I Love You, America. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's filming her second season. Her sister is a rabbi. Yes. So, okay. Want to hear a crazy story? Yes, I do. Okay. So, I... (laughs) So a couple months ago, I had lunch with Sarah Silverman in L.A. 
spit take right there for Michael. <laughs> I was just taking more of my tequila shot when she said that. <laughs> so I had lunch with her in LA a couple months ago. And it was as surreal as you can probably imagine it happening. I mean, before it happened, I, I was fully expecting like it not to happen. I was fully expecting like something to come up, like like something was going to come up in her schedule for her to cancel it, but nothing came up. And we ended up having a full two-hour lunch in LA, which was amazing. And we talked about like these different ideas, some of these different things that I'm discussing with you guys right now. And what I didn't realize is... Like, the night before, I was super excited and super nervous to meet her. And then I got a message from her on Twitter where she said that her sister and her niece were excited, were super excited for her to be meeting with me. And then I started freaking out because I was like, this isn't happening. This isn't a real thing. Like, what is going on? Like, I need to wake up. You are Sarah Silverman, Sarah Silverman. (laughs) Yes, which is, like, wild. But yeah, so her 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 sisters are super famous rabbi in Israel, and I like next time I go to Israel, I really want to like break bread with her. So if you're listening, Susan, which she is, every, every we, have a very, <laughs> we have a popular podcast here. <laughs> better be listening. That's really really cool. Yeah, and I'm sure she, you know, loved the conversation. Yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah, it was like a deep heart to heart. Yeah, because like, she's very her. outspoken. Like, yeah, I've heard her even in her comedy sets, talk about it. And it's very, she comes from like a very logical place yeah. about it too, which I like. Yeah. So that's very cool. Yeah, she definitely has a great heart. Yeah. Definitely. Well, to pivot a little bit, to go, one thing I, I find interesting about sort of your background and where you work is, as you said, you're from New Orleans, you're not Jewish, and you're a, a black woman in America. I'm curious to see how you found that sort of being not what a stereotypical Jew is a person who works towards yeah. Israel rights uh, how has that impacted what you do in terms of any like backlash that you might have gotten from that? So that's interesting. So there's been both backlash and a new way of seeing things as just as a result or a product of my identity. So I've, let me start with the, that latter part because I actually think that's more interesting. Uh, so because I grew up in sort of an insider-outsider dynamic, mm-hmm. like not mainstream Christian, but Christian. Not Jewish, but totally always in the Jewish world. So, like, I have this insider-outsider function with my identity. As a result, I'm able to see how certain things relate to other things in a way where you may not be able to see that if you had only grew up in one culture, as opposed to growing up in this sort of Venn diagram middle of both cultures. Um, And as a result, I can, like, take things from pop culture, and this is really what the theory of enchantment does in terms of the workshops. What I do is I take lessons from pop culture, and I use those lessons to teach something fundamental about Israel or understanding Israeli society. So, for example, I will take a, a, a lyric from Kendrick Lamar's song DNA, where he talks about you know, what it means to be a human being, basically. And when, when he says, like, I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA, and how this illustrates and underscores complexity of what it means to be a human being. And so, therefore, when we talk about Israelis, keep in mind we're talking about human beings. And this is what it means to be a human being. It's complex, it's multifaceted, etc. So I will use that, and I can only do that because I've always been able to see the way things relate to other things. Uh, so that's, that's an advantage. A disadvantage... Uh, or maybe not a disadvantage, but just a challenge that I have to deal with, is backlash because I am in the middle of two right. or more cultures, right? So, and I receive backlash often from both from all sides of the political spectrum, and I consider myself pretty centrist. But I, I, 
I've received backlash from both the right and the left. So, for example, the r- people on the right will say, um, you know, you have no right to have such a huge stake in the community because you're not one of us. You're not Jewish, right? And then people on the left will, interestingly enough, make similar arguments, um, but in service of their own argument, like of their own position that I ha- might happen to disagree with. Right. So, so as a result of not belonging like so rigidly in any culture, I receive backlash from people who perceive me as the other, quote unquote, and perceive the other as being a threat to their sense of identity. So it all goes back to identity, Definitely. curiously enough, you know. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it re- reminds me a lot of the similarity of like being an ally. Yeah. And how like mm-hmm. I've always been told like become an ally mm-hmm. for all these different communities. And then yeah. it's how do you do that? And where's your identity as the ally? So it's yeah. interesting. Which, I, can I tell you something? Like, I, this is just my pet peeve. My major is international studies. So, like, when I hear the term ally or allyship, <laughs> like, I think of, like, diplomacy and things like that. But when you're talking about, when you're talking about social justice or trying to affect social change, I, I, I can't stand the term ally. Because, like, I don't want to be a person's ally. I want to be a person's friend. I want to be a community's a community member's friend. And to me, that's much more stronger than being an ally. That means I'm not here to to tell you every single t- moment of your life that everything you do is correct simply by virtue of me being an ally or simply because of the relationship. I'm your friend. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you when I think you're out of line. And I'm going to empower you when I think you're doing amazing things. And I would expect you to do the same for me because we're friends. And that's like mm-hmm. authentic, sincere friendship. And I think that there's this yeah, there's this interesting moment right now in the country where allyship is becoming a part of the discourse and the language that we use to relate to each other, but it feels like not fully genuine, like a, not a fully genuine relationship, if that makes sense. So I struggle with that from time to time. No, it makes sense. It's I guess it's looking at it from that political point, like allyship is a sort of a one person's trying to get something out of it from being that ally, but whereas you're being friends, it's more of a two-way yeah. street. And I feel like that's more sustainable mm-hmm. in right. the long run. Definitely. You know, and that will actually enable you to create and build sustainable systems, which is what you were trying to do, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> like to that to that point, I think that the word ally or a lot of probably people in our generation feel about it is it's like you're, you have this badge on you that says ally and that's not sustainable at all. Yeah. It's like you're, you're using your allyship under the under false pretenses almost mm-hmm. you're like you're you're playing a game or a contest and you're like i support everyone and really everyone just needs a friend who's going to be honest with them yes because like, not everyone's right not yes. even people we love and look up to sarah silverman's always right but, <laughs> yeah. and susan and susan, yeah, and susan. Yes. Yes. but other than that i mean we're flawed yes it's a human condition exactly you know what i'm saying Oh, we know what you're saying. We know, you know what, you're what saying. I'm saying. Okay, cool. Well, Clay, if there was one thing you could leave all of our listeners with, what do you want to sort of be your parting message? So much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, so I will give you the same advice that this guy whose name, of course, I forget. His name is Chris Piccolini, I think, actually, who was a guest on Sarah Silverman's show. Um, and his friend's book I just read, it's called... Uh, Something about leading hate. Okay, so Chris McLean was a was a former neo-Nazi, and he uh, like he talks about how this process of like how he became reformed and saw the light or whatever. And one thing he says on this segment with Sarah is, "Go out and friend someone 
who you think is most undeserving of your friendship. Because those are the people who actually need it the most. And that would be the advice that I would give to people who are looking to create spaces of compassion and empathy, which is hard. Compassion and empathy aren't just buzzwords or talking points. Like It's very hard to cultivate that. It's very difficult to create that, especially in the face of people who are like attacking you all the time. But I think it will change things in the long run and it will you know lay the groundwork for creating a better society chloe thank you so much for being here i think that you you're leading your life with love and we've seen through history that that always wins out so keep fighting a good fight right. and um and to that l'chaim l'chaim <laughs> there are times of charm guys thank you chloe thank you for having me this episode of Divided State Citizens is brought to you by getting extra cheese on your pizza. You're bad. Yeah, I am bad. Wow. I'm bad. You are bad. Well, that was a, a great interview that we definitely didn't record a while ago. Definitely not. I loved it. Yeah, we didn't sit on that for too long. But this has been a great last one. I, I really do love the conversations that we were able to have about identity with her and how it, it really does move to what we were saying in the beginning of the episode about how all the experiences we had again everyone always really did have that similar vibe and i guess this time for our positive points 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 points. it's uh gonna be more about the positive point of what we take away and i I think i i want to leave with what we said in the beginning was just that ability to learn from other people and i think that continuing to learn is the positive point for me so it's been this experience not only with the guests and with all listeners, but with you, Michael. So my positive point is thank you. Oh my God. Same. Aw. And we're so much more similar than we are different. Like even like me and someone who's in Asia right now, like they're on a different continent, different societal norms, different everything. We have as human beings so much more in common than we do different. So it is so important, like Henry said, Go out there, have those uncomfortable conversations, find you a friend like Henry, make a podcast, do whatever you can do to make a difference that you see fit, and this world's going to get a whole lot better. And vote in November. Vote in November, no excuses. So, with that, for one last time, I'm Henry Simon. And I'm Michael Weil. And with that, the music will get louder. Louder.